Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we'd like to get a little harvest update from you. If you want to call in, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'd just like to hear how harvest is going on your farm and around the United States and Canada. I will just tell you on our farm, we had a large dairy go up next to us. And so a lot of our corn got cut for silage this year. So because of that... We didn't have near as much grain to harvest, so we've been done for a while now on our farm. It's pretty awesome. Gives us a little more time to do fall tillage. Did a lot of soil testing this fall, and I'm thankful that we did because probably the biggest thing that we saw this year that's different than normal is all the carryover nitrogen. And I've had a lot of people ask me, why are we getting such high levels of nitrogen left in the soil? Look, I don't know for sure, but this is my assumption as to why we're, we're seeing that. Number one, in some cases, yields were down. Now, not in all cases, because we had some tremendous crop on some of our ground, and we still had a lot of nitrogen left over. So point number two is this. We didn't have enough rain to leach anything out of our soil. So everything we put there and everything that mineralized from soil organic matter, it's still there unless it got used up, of course. Then the third thing is just more organic matter mineralization than normal because it was as hot as it was as early as it was this year. If you remember back to June, like when I was driving around a lot of the northern United States in June, it was smoking hot. I mean, 100 plus degrees almost every day, which is unbelievably unusual when the high at that time of year is normally about 80 degrees and it was 100 105 and you're going what in the world is going on here this is brutal but the advantage to that was the organic matter in the soil started mineralizing sooner and more than normal so because of that we believe we just have a lot more nitrogen that ended up in our soil anyway i would just encourage you do some soil testing here this fall like we did i'm thankful we did because nitrogen like all fertilizer right now is ridiculously expensive if you know you have some extra fertilizer left over from this year then you don't have to put as much on for next year and that saves tons of money so anyway again we'll be talking about harvest updates throughout the show today if you would like to call in, we'd love to have you. Our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or again, you could email us radio at agphd.com. All right, we're going to go right to the phone lines. Got Andrew calling in from North Dakota. Andrew, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Excellent. Here you got a question about nitrogen. Yeah, so I just got my fall uh, soil samples back, yep. and I have a 40-acre piece that it's showing uh, in the top six inches, 70 pounds of nitrogen. Okay. And in the six to 24 inch range, 180 pounds. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it was corn. Uh, we had a drought. It was, it was like 80 bushel corn that came off this uh, little sure. piece. Sure. I'm wondering for next year, obviously soybeans aren't going to go get that. What would you recommend on maybe kind of doing like, do you just go with, try find some other deep rooted crop or, 
to try to get it that next year, or do you think it's going to hold? Okay, so first of all, the soybeans will get that, in my opinion, uh, as long as you mm-hmm. don't have a major compaction issue. Soybeans need a tremendous amount of nitrogen, and if they don't have to produce it themselves, they'll use it out of the soil. So they'll use a lot of that. It's just when I add that up, doing the simple math, that's 70 plus 180 is 250 pounds. So because nitrogen is worth as much as it is this year, we had ground that was very similar to exactly what you're talking about there. And I just said, man, I know we were going to rotate away from corn, but I think we're going to go corn on corn. That's what we're going to do. So a lot of people Mm -hmm. I'm talking to are just going to put corn back out or maybe a wheat or something else, a crop where you need to fertilize with nitrogen rather than see all that nitrogen potentially go to waste or like in the case of soybeans, like I say, it can produce its own nitrogen. So sure, it'll use this stuff up, but why why would we want to do that? So, I mean, unless mm-hmm. you really are desperate for that rotation, my first thought is I'd at least consider going corn again. The problem with that is moisture usage. We know that corn on corn is going to take more moisture than corn rotated to soybeans. So Mm -hmm. corn on corn in a drought year usually isn't great, but I I mean, this is where we're all kind of playing the odds here, Andrew. My assumption is we're going to get back to hopefully normal moisture next year because we've been in this severe drought thing for like a year and five months now. So I'm hoping it starts to go away. Okay. Is there any other nutrients you'd, you'd look on for corn on corn? Because I don't, I don't have an experience of going corn on corn. Sure. We've done lots of it over the years, and nitrogen's like by far and away number one. Other than that, I, you know, there's nothing in particular that I would say I'm especially worried about, especially if you're coming off a low yield on corn. So it's, it's phosphorus, it's potassium, and it's sulfur. Sulfur is probably the biggest one that we worry about leaching, but here again, with no rain, I'm guessing your soil test levels probably show good sulfur amounts and probably decent phosphorus yet too, right? Yes. Yeah. So, nope, I'm really not too worried about it. And I realize I'm getting really into story time here and getting in deep, but I'll just tell you, my dad talked about 1976 all the time when he was alive. And he just said, Brian, 76 was so bad. Our crop was terrible. And his story was always, we had less rain that summer, Brian, than the Mojave Desert. That's how dry we were. And he said, here's what we and a bunch of other farmers did back in 77. He said, we all raised corn on corn, beans on beans, wheat on wheat, because there was fertilizer that was still sitting there. Why not use it? And the other issue is herbicide. So if you put on, let's say, a corn herbicide that could potentially hurt soybeans, well, how much of that did we actually get rid of this year when it was that dry? So he said, that's what we did in 76, you know, going into 77, we just all raised the same crop two years in a row. And he said it was fantastic. Some of the best crop he ever raised. And the two-year average actually turned out pretty good. So that's probably what we would recommend to you. Uh, I, you know, I, I you got a lot of nitrogen there. I try to use it somehow. Sounds good. All right. Good luck. Thank you. You bet. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, getting a harvest update on today's show. We'd love to hear from you at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we'll be right back after this. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. 
Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Getting a harvest update on today's show. It seems like uh, everybody I talk to right now, it's how's harvest coming to your area and how's harvest coming over here and how's it going over there? I think this is a great way to do it. We can talk to people all over. So if you want to contribute a little bit about how it's going in your part of the world, we would love to hear from you today. Uh, let's start off over in Wisconsin. Got Ross on with us right now. Ross, how's harvest going there? It's going pretty good. How are you guys? Not too bad. We've moved on. We got got the grain in the bins. We got the silage all put up, and now it's uh, get some strip till done and, and uh, do a little bit of dirt work here and there where it needs to be done. How about you? We are about, we're not quite that far along if you're done. I guess we're about two-thirds or three-quarters with soybeans. Um, really nice soybean crop this year. We we have struggled with green stems. In our area, everybody's talking about green stems. It's kind of getting on the tail end of that conversation. But we have one uh, variety that's been real stubborn, and you just you can't uh, plug all the concaves up. And so we're just waiting a little bit on that one. But So we've uh, had a lot of time to work on corn. We're probably half done with that, and um, yeah, pretty amazing yields for the year we had, so we're pretty pretty happy, feeling kind of lucky. Yeah, yeah, I tell you what, to get a good price and decent yield on the same year, that doesn't happen very often in farming, so got to rejoice when that does happen. So let's, let's say that harvest goes really smooth here for the next week or two, and you get her all wrapped up. What comes up next for you guys? Do you do fertility work in the fall? Do you do tillage things? What, what makes it a great fall for you? Yeah, we're, uh, we do strip till on everything. Uh, we typically strip till all the corn stalks and a little bit of the flatter bean stubble, but we usually leave most of that for spring just for erosion concerns. But, uh, yeah, we've been chipping away at that. It's always hard with, uh, when we're in the fields harvesting, it seems like there's some fire that needs to be put out, but we work at it a little bit. And then if we get, um, when we get harvest wrapped up, we'll really go about that. And, uh, some fence row work, we're trying to 
up our game a little bit on waterway and fence row management. It just seems like uh, if you don't mow them and spray them, it's just getting harder and harder to keep them clean. So we're trying to keep up on that stuff, and that'll get into full swing when the picking is over. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I know a lot of times uh, non-farmers will be wondering, okay, well, what are you, you're all done with harvest, and it's not even Halloween yet? Well, that's easy. Now you're just going to sit back and, and relax. It's like, no, no, no. There's <laughs> there's so much work. When you get a fall like this, you can actually do a few things. That I, I We're doing the same thing. We're kind of getting after some of the waterways, too, a little bit. And I know last fall we got a chance to get after some drainage projects. Have you got any of those you're working on over in your area? We're pretty pretty rolling here in southwest Wisconsin. We're, we're lucky in that way. We don't really have any tile. I mean, we'll have a farm or two that might have a waterway tile just that's, you know, really consistently wet. But tile is really something that we don't have to deal with. So we don't have the nice, long, straight rows. But I guess on the bright side, we don't have to mess around with tile. We've never really been in those projects. Yeah, there's always trade-offs, aren't they? Yep, it should be nice to have flat and square fields sometimes, but by the same token, then uh, it's tough to get water to, to leave that field too. Uh, hey, Russ, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Really, really happy for you guys. You're getting great yields over there. That's awesome. Uh, good luck to you as you get the rest of this stuff out. All right, thanks a lot. Take care. You bet. Let's head over to Minnesota. Got Todd with us right now. Todd, how are you doing? Very good. How are you, Darren? Pretty good, pretty good. So, uh, so what's happening in your area? This is Todd McRoberts here with Syngenta. I should I should have mentioned that rather than just saying Todd. But uh, so, how's how's it going in your part of Minnesota? I think harvest is uh, well underway. A lot of beans are off. Majority of the beans are off, and now people are pecking away at corn. But I think the most surprising thing I've seen here is, you know, walking fields the last three to four weeks. We've had such warm weather. There's just a lot of harvest loss, both in corn and soybeans, and. Those warm winds we had early early October, late September, it dried those beans so fast that we're just seeing a lot of beans out there after after the combines went through. You know, I just talked to a farmer today, and he took some corn off that was 13%. And literally, as those ears were hitting, it was just exploding. <laughs> and like, oh, no, you know there's going to be some loss there. We're, we're always targeting, if we can get stuff off around 20%, then we just don't have that much loss. What do you think were some of the contributing things? I know we had a lot of stress this year, too. Some of those plants were, were really suffering to try and make it through. Majority of the upper Midwest, I would say, it was drier than normal. And, and, you know, as we look at, you know, all the challenges we had with the smoke coming from, from the west and the north, um, we just, we had a lot of consistent heat. So we were ahead on GDUs. Uh, the crop matured faster than it probably should have. Uh, tar spot, actually, uh, it spread west farther than I would have ever thought it would have. Uh, so if you look at uh, the Midwest and, and areas through there where we were ahead of heat units and and stock stock uh, symptoms were going up and down that plant, and then tar spot came in. Just a lot of contributing factors in 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 the harvest season here now. So you, you never think about October where you'd see 13 to 15 percent corn. You're always thinking about you know drying that or or taking it early, like you said there. You know, the other thing you mentioned the tar spot, and I'm I'm amazed how much tar spot there is in Minnesota this year. But the fusarium crown and stock route, we've seen that just all over too, with the stress that we had early season and and just challenges all the way through. That's been another one where we've seen some standability issues out there. I've talked to quite a few farmers this fall who've said, "Man, I'm really struggling to get everything in the combine." That's it's going to really play out for next year's crop when you think about how much volunteer corn is going to be out there. 
So, so Todd, uh, this time of year, obviously a busy time in the in the seed business. A lot of guys looking at stuff. Uh, what is seed supply looking like going into next year? Oh, I think we might have lost you there, Todd. I don't know if you got us on mute or not. Just a second. I think we're having a little little phone issue here with Todd. We're talking with Todd McRoberts with Syngenta over in Minnesota. And, Brian, uh, Todd had mentioned the tar spot thing. And I, I actually was just talking to a corn breeder this morning about tar spot and saying, I said, all right, farmers are demanding that seed companies get really good ratings for us now on some of these diseases like tar spot and this uh, fusarium crown and stock rot that we're getting out there. Uh, and it's easier said than done because oh, a lot no. of it is – Man, we don't have a good way to to inoculate these these exactly. crops to really get a good fair trial. Yep, that's the problem, and there just isn't a lot of history. I mean, tar spots relatively new ten years ago, nobody had even heard of it, and now all of a sudden everybody's like you say demanding that. I mean, there's only so much that breeders can do. So yeah, I know the companies are working on it. It just it it does take a little time. You know, Todd, as you, as you look at that with some of these new diseases coming out and, and seed supply and so forth, a lot of farmers are asking, what, what is seed supply like? Did the seed crop get hit by this too? Actually, as you look at seed crop, it's, it's very good across the Midwest. Uh, it, through Syngenta, we've had one of the best years of growing we've had in a long time. So uh, whether it's corn or, or even soybeans now with the with the new Extendflex or E3 uh, traits out there, all for Syngenta, all, all crops are very good shape from a production standpoint. Outstanding. Yeah, with all the supply issues this year, I'm glad there's one thing that we don't have to worry about. At least we got some seed supply out there. Well, Todd, thank it's you so much. Probably fertilizer. Oh, yes. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah, it's it's going to be a challenge. There's no doubt about it. And getting supplies on hand early, I think, will be key going into this next year. So there's no uh, last-minute shockers that happen. But we'll have to talk to you again as we get a little closer to the season, Todd. Really appreciate having you on. Absolutely. Thanks, Darren. Got a question that came in from George over in Bulgaria. George said, I'm, I'm doing some strip till and I'm wondering about depth. I don't have enough horsepower to pull my machine as deep as I'd like. What do you think about putting fertilizer in at 8 to 10 inches? I initially thought I would try and get down to 12. Yeah, 8 to 10 inches is fine. We've done a lot of that over the years. We just like putting some fertility down deep. If you have, let's say, your top few inches of soil built up, it just makes a lot of sense to us to put more down deep, lead the roots down a little bit. That's typically a good thing. I got a little feedback here from Ruben as listening to the show. He said, thanks for, for all the information, guys. Really appreciate all that you're doing. Hey, thanks, Ruben. You know, it's uh, it's fun doing doing uh, informational shows, trying to help farmers out. And just getting some more information about what's going on at Harvest can be helpful a little bit, too, just to see where everybody's at. I uh, got this one uh, little comment. This is in from uh, RC, who said, you guys are talking about Wild Proso Millet. It's not really a weed. It's a big business for me. Uh, but this thing can definitely get out of control, and it's something you have to watch for. Hey, thanks, RC. We appreciate it. Yeah, there's some weeds that, that can be used for multiple purposes, no doubt about that. If that wild proso is out in my field, though, I'm definitely trying to get it under control. I'm not trying well, to raise that Well, if it's one. a weed, yes. <laughs> you bet. All right, we're getting a harvest update on today's program. You can call in at 844-44-AG-PHD. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. 
Howler is Omri listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, January 11th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, fertility requirements, and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. We'll be covering all this and more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There is a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhem. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're getting a harvest update, and we'd love to hear how things are going in your area. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you'd prefer to send us an email or send a picture or a soil test, you sure can. Radio at agphd.com is the place to do that. Let's head over to Illinois. Got David on with us right now. David, how's it going? It's a beautiful day in March around here. <laughs> <laughs> nice and chilly for you? It's chilly, and yesterday we had in the area anywhere from four to seven inches of rain. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Brian always talks about this. He goes, if there's one time of year I'd like a drought, I'd like to have it during harvest season so we can at least get the crop (laughs) off. How are you coming? Have you got a lot of it off already, or you have been stuck with rain all fall? Oh, no, we've had a good fall so far. Uh, We're about three-fourths done with corn, about half done with beans. Uh, Earlier in the fall, one day, we we were drying down about a point and a half a day earlier in the 
in the fall on corn, and that one day I got down to 12.3 moisture on corn. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah, it was going so fast. And, uh, yeah, and beans, we've been rolling along good on those, so we can't complain so far. Excellent. So, you know, when you look at, at uh, that four to seven inches of rain this time of year, that's that's a little tough deal, but how long do you think it's going to hold you out of the field? It's kind of tough to guess sometimes. Well, as fast as it came, a lot of it ran off, so that's going to help us a lot right there, um, on, especially on the hills. Most of the, I think a lot of the stuff in the river bottom is probably pretty well done, but um, at least we had a lot ran off for us, so, you know, that's going to help. Um, but other than that, you know, we've been dry this fall, um, and a lot of this has been soaking up pretty good, so the range we've had. So. All right, so besides harvest, are you doing any fall herbicide work or fall fertilizer work yet? No, we haven't, and our the local guys are just barely sticking their toe in the water to start putting on some, some uh, anhydrous, a uh, little bit of dry fertilizer going on. On some of the guys that are starting to get, you know, they're getting done. But other than that, not a whole lot yet. Uh, just just the area we're in. So yeah, yeah. It's it's different in different parts of the the country. I know some people have said the supplies have been so tight they really haven't got anybody pinned down to get things done. For us, we got fall manure on already here uh, uh, a week or so ago, and so we're we're ahead of the game on our farm, which is kind of unusual. So I don't know. I'm almost a little uneasy, Dave, not not knowing, man, we can't be this far ahead, can we? Uh, well, thing is, with the price of not, that anhydrous is going this year, you know, as warm as it's been, we're just now getting to the swell temperature where it's almost right to put anhydrous on. So it's, you know, it could be touch and go for some of these guys that are locking in anhydrous prices for fall because if they don't get it on, they'll lose that price for next spring. So. Right, right. Yeah, it could get ugly, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting decision, especially when they add this many uh, zeros behind everything that we're trying to buy. It's kind of crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've, other than we've had a good fall this year, uh, I don't know, this spring, I told you guys I was going to try some 16-inch row corn. Did that this year, first time. as a true learning experience. Uh, I'm not on a learning ele- uh, curve. I've got a learning elevator this year. Um, going straight up, and I told people I'm not making mistakes. I'm ma- I'm ma- making learning experiences. So there you go. Yeah, it was very, it was very interesting. So you learn the learn things to do and not to do, and and tweak for next year. So yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. You learn a bunch of tweaks that you can do. Okay, next year I'll do it a little bit different. And obviously you're going to get different weather next year than you got this year. But um, but oh, you, yeah. you certainly know some things that okay, here's something I didn't like and and can make it better. What do you do for population when you we do that? And and how'd you turn uh, out for yield? Uh, population I was shooting for thirty two thousand per acre. Um, I was using forty eight cell bean plates on a Kinsey. Uh, to try and be able to get my population right in row and didn't like my spacings like I would have had, so that's one of the things to tweak for next year. Yep. I had anywhere from 44,000 to 25,000 when I, after I got the planter set halfway right and uh, yields went any. I saw uh, combine yield monitor yields go up, hit, hit 215. Uh, way wagon went 175. Coal field went anywhere from 110 to 130, just because. Well, the one the 130 field had uh, 
trees on one, you know, timber on one side and just, you know, other little things. Um, just, it was, it was an interesting good year, first year to learn what to not to do next year. So, sure. yeah. Sure. Well, good luck to you on that, Dave. Yeah, that's a fun thing, too. At the end of harvest, you get to evaluate all those results and think about, okay, what what could I do different and why did some things work better than others? So that's awesome. I'm glad you're taking that elevator up and, and learning really quick and, and uh, willing to try some new things, too. Yep, yep. And last week, I, my, my father and I went and helped and did something that you, you don't like to have to help with, you, you don't want to help with, but you know you need to had a farmer across the river, uh, was killed in an accident a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and so we went over and helped with that, you know, with that harvest day. So, uh, good to see, you know, friends and neighbors come in and, and do something like that. So, yep. Yeah, you absolutely. Wanna, you don't want to see it come around, but once in a while it's got to be done. So. Nope. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah. Nobody's excited about that, but uh, it sure is good to see everybody pull together like that. Well, Dave, thank you so much. Really good talking to you. Glad, glad things are going well on the farm. Hopefully it dries out and you can get back rolling again. That's plan A. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dave. Really appreciate it. Let's head out to central South Dakota. Got Shannon on with us right now. I understand you're harvesting sunflowers right now, Shannon. I am today. Yes. Outstanding. How are the flowers running? Are they run? Are you happy with yields? Uh, pretty happy we've only done one field but we're we got it done this morning and we're on our others but oh i guess they're running about 1700 but i kind of like oh ton flowers are pretty pretty fair in our books so but we're just kind of getting going on them but i think there'll be some fields a little later that might make or should make a ton i think so you bet okay what kind of sunflowers are you raising for what purpose are they being used so Quite a few of ours go to the bird seed market. It's hard to believe that that market buys so many, but everybody in the cities keep feeding the birds because that makes the market for us. Very, very seldom do I send any to the oil crush anymore. It just seems like the oil, so the bird seed bid has been pretty strong. And the thing we like about the bird seed, if nobody knows, so if they bid you like 25 cents, you, you know what the price is where the oil, the crush, you got to deliver it, and then they take a sample, and then they send it off. And you might not know, like, what your oil is for four or five days. And if it, it's got to meet a minimum of 40% oil, but if it's if it's over 40, they do pay a premium for higher than 40. But if it's under, then they discount you. So I like the birdseed market, and that's been pretty fair to us. We've felt in the past. All right, so talk to us about rotation then. When you're working sunflowers in, how, how often will you plant sunflowers, and what do you like to, to follow that sunflower crop with? What's going to be there next year? So we've always kind of been following sunflowers with spring wheat behind there, and then after the spring wheat's cut, we no-till the winter wheat into the spring wheat double. We love that rotation. And then the wheat, after we cut the winter wheat, we go back to corn, and then like before the or after the corn, this was, uh, after the corn is sunflowers. So that's kind of a four-year rotation. And uh, we like that rotation pretty good. The spring wheat behind sunflowers is a little tough. You know, this year was pretty dry, but we was very surprised with our yields on spring wheat behind the sunflowers. Uh, I don't know. I've been tinkering with the idea of maybe doing some millet behind the sunflowers instead of spring wheat, but we just haven't ever done that too much. 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting, too, just to see where the market's going. I like your thinking on the sunflowers that I kind of like having a locked-in guaranteed price. I, I hate wondering what they're actually going to pay me for and then always wondering if that's really right. fair or whatnot. But uh, it, I find a lot right. of guys comparing notes with neighbors. Well, man, what's what's your oil percentage? Because they're telling me mine mm-hmm. is this and, and just seeing if, yep. if we're on the same playing field. Yep, that's true. And, of course, I don't – so there is a couple different flowers. They have a confection sunflower, and I don't raise any confections. Those are the really the big seeds, but I, we're just doing like the oil seeds, they call them. You know, I'm not doing confections. Sure. sure. Yeah, the so. bird bird seed market, it's, it's a big, big deal. Uh, we're talking with Shannon here in central South Dakota. Shannon, we got to run. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you calling in today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 12th and 13th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the most important two days that you spend in your farming career, and it's all free. So register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Hey, everyone. 
come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. If you would like to call with an agronomic question or to give us a harvest update, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, got a tomato question for you here. This one comes in from Randy. He said, guys, I've been in the same house for eight years. I've had this garden, and it's been great. I've grown just tremendous tomatoes, great size, abundant tomatoes. Then I had a soil test performed, found out my pH was a little high, and wanted to amend the soil. So I added two cubes of peat moss and about a dozen bags of manure, and since then, I just haven't had great tomatoes. They still grow tall, but they aren't as big or as abundant. And also, early in the growing season, some of the leaves look a little deformed. They're not curled. They just don't look like a tomato leaf. And then the issue stops after they get about three feet tall. Uh, This fall, I ran soil tests again, which I'm sending to you. And I told my agronomy person that I wanted my pH to come down a little closer to 6.3. So he said to add some elemental sulfur, which I did this fall. But I still think something else is going on here. Any ideas that you've got from my soil test or from my description? Okay, so I'll just first oh, say this. And these are, Go ahead. These, this is this year's soil test and the one from a couple of years ago. Okay. So I am no great tomato expert or anything, but I do know this. When we have potassium levels as low as what we've got here, and it looks like a fair amount, potassium is a 423 pounds per acre, but where I'm saying it's low is your base saturation K percentage. It's only 3.6%. I would like that to be a little bit higher. Go ahead. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Randy, at one part of his email I didn't read is, he said his agronomist thought his P and K levels were a little high and would recommend not adding any more P and K. Well, the phosphorus is at 240 pounds to the acre. So- Let's put it this way. If we're talking about amazing yield of a crop, am I worried about 240 pounds to the acre? No, I'm not. And if I compare this to his old soil test, his phosphorus levels are just a hair higher than they were before. It was 211 before. Now it's 240 three years later. But the potassium has gone down. It was 524 then. It's down 20%. Now it's only 423 pounds. So that's one of the things that I would say. If you want to drive your pH a little bit lower, you could get a little more sulfur out there. Sulfur is often a key to take. Which he did put some elemental sulfur on this fall. But how much? Uh, Three pounds. Right. And that's not much. Well, wait. Three pounds to how much? Are we talking three pounds an acre no, or no, three no. pounds to a small area? No, a small area. Right. Uh, it's 25 by 25 feet, so pretty small <laughs> you, area. You didn't you didn't give me that information, so what's that amount to on a per acre basis? Well, that's what, 625 square feet. So run, run the math. Tell me how much that is on a per acre basis, his elemental sulfur. So anyway, yes, that's that's tremendously important, But but let's say this too. Elemental sulfur is not instantly available. It comes available over time, and the type of elemental sulfur you buy makes an enormous difference. Some stuff, it'll take five years to come available. Seriously. Other stuff, most of it will come available in the first year. So 
you, what you're looking for is the solubility or let's put it this way, the fineness of that elemental sulfur. If you just put some in a jar and shake it around and then come back a week later, shake it around, see if you're still hearing a whole bunch of what sounds like rocks or pellets or something in there, then you know you don't have something that's breaking down fast. We've had stuff we've had in a jar for a year or more. And it still sounds like rocks in there. Be a little over 200 pounds per acre. 200 pounds per acre. Okay, that really should be sufficient for what he's got there. His cation exchange capacity is only 15. So as long as, as Randy, you got a good form of elemental sulfur that will break down quickly, small particle size, I think that's that's going to get you most of the way there. As long as you adjust your K levels, get a little more potassium out there, and hopefully things will improve. All right. Thanks for that. Really appreciate it. Andy from Ontario is wondering, your winter workshops this year, are you planning on having them available virtual? If so, will we be able to access them after the meeting if we have to miss part of it and for how long? Yes and yes. So we will put more of those details on our website as we get closer to our workshops. Our first workshops are not until the second week of January, so we got a little bit of time yet. Right. Uh, I get this comment in from James. He said, really appreciate your information you're putting out on different herbicides, like spraying 2,4-D safely around the farm. Hey, thanks, James. Really appreciate that. Yeah, we like like talking about those things, and there definitely are differences between products. We really like that new Freelex if you're going to spray any sort of 2,4-D yeah. uh, anywhere close and, to the home. And the big thing is... If you just listen to people talk out in the public, listen to the mainstream media, whatever, you're all you're going to hear about is negative, negative, negative stuff toward farming, and it drives me absolutely crazy. It's like, okay, I, I don't like just complaining about a problem. How about let's fix the problem? It, it, it's not that tough. So with herbicides, there are right ways to do things and wrong ways to do things. So that's what we're talking about all the time is how to apply stuff so you don't have a problem. So anyway, I, we, we love herbicides. It's just, yeah, some of them are dangerous. Some of them you have to be super careful with. But, you know, we've got a lot of really good herbicides that are fantastic, inexpensive, and they're so good for agriculture in general. So earlier today, Darren and I were talking about soil erosion. You know, back in the old days, or by old days, I mean 30, 40 years ago, everybody had to do tillage because we didn't have great herbicides. We didn't have great machinery so we could go out and plant into no-till or for that matter even strip-till. It was a disaster. Well today it's awesome and part of that reason why is because of the fantastic herbicides we have. Residual contact, they're inexpensive, we have super great sprayers, better spray nozzles and just a whole lot better education on all these things today than we did back then as well. All right, get this one from Delane in Iowa, and he said, One of my farms in northwest Iowa calls for dolomite. I've not been able to locate a dolomitic lime supply in the area. Do you have any idea who may sell dolomite 60 miles east of Sioux City? <laughs> or what uh, my alternatives would be if I can't find it? Okay, I, I, I don't know 60 miles east of Sioux City. I would just say, Call around to a few more people. Call some agronomists. Um, for that matter, even ask the people at Iowa State. They could probably get you directed. I, I, I don't have that information, though. I don't know who makes it or who supplies it. But I will say, if you can't get that and you want dolomitic lime, which basically means you need magnesium in addition to your calcium, you can just put on the calcitic lime, and then you can find another source for magnesium. 
The reason why a lot of people go dolomitic lime is it's cheaper to get your magnesium that way than any other way. So there are other magnesium sources, whether it's uh, magnesium sulfate, it's K-mag, which is potassium and magnesium. Uh, I, I mean, there, there are other sources. So you could look around for that and see, okay, well, which way would be the best to do it for me? If dolomitic lime isn't available close by, then you have more trucking cost, and so that obviously raises the price of that lime, and that's where you got to balance these things out. All right, thanks for the question. Get this one in from Mark. He said, guys, what's the secret to getting tiling to work in heavy clay soils? Well, I, I would say it depends a little bit on what your goal is here, but I just think about our heavy clay soils. We put our tile lines relatively shallow, so we're only going three feet. You could go four. I don't have a big problem with that, but we don't. We aren't typically talking super deep. Uh, next thing is you have to make sure you have good porosity in your soil. So that means we want to, over time, build up soil organic matter, and very quickly we can build up soil calcium levels. You need calcium levels at least 65%, if not even 75% in your soil. When, when you have that, your soil is more porous. The water will get to the tile line a little bit faster. Beyond that, I'd say you just have to have a lot of tile lines out there. The heavier your soil, the higher that cation cation exchange capacity, or CEC, then the closer together those tile lines need to be to effectively drain that ground. So sometimes, I mean, we're, we're clear down to 20, 25-foot spacings in some cases, a lot of 35, 40-foot spacings in heavy clay tile. And we also, when it's really super heavy, we kind of set things up so we can go back in and split the middles if we feel like we need to later on. Yeah, compaction's a big deal. Getting that calcium base saturation in the 65-70% range, getting the magnesium down into the 10 to 15% range, those kinds of things all help internal drainage as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio after this. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. 
One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more. Return more with a Drago cornhead. For more information on Drago cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we're getting harvest updates from around the from around the continent. We would love to hear from you how things are going in your area, and also uh, we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag too, so we'll get back to some of those questions in just a little bit. But first, we got Gary up in Ontario on with us. Gary, how's it going? Not too bad. So are you guys uh, back in the wet day up this way? Oh, I was gonna say, are you back in the field? But no, it's wet again. Oh man. How much harvest you got left in your area? Uh we're about uh, beans are off. Uh we're at about thirty per thirty almost forty percent done on corn. Okay. That's not too and, bad. Once uh, those beans are off, that really takes away a lot of that risk. Yeah, but we just looks like I'm gonna say if I was guessing here, it's been raining all day here that we just probably have over two inches. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. How's the corn hanging in there? Is so, it standing well still? It's uh it's the stuff that went down went down in uh windstorm in August and uh we haven't got at some of that yet, but uh after that it really wasn't we haven't had any issues from there from that point on, but um, it's still standing fine. Yeah. We've been looking at a lot uh, of fusarium. We got two inches of rain on top of wet. Yeah. We got two inches of rain on Oof. top of wet soil already. So. Yeah, that is no fun. I know we, we've seen a lot of downed corn down here in the States too. And, and there's been some fusarium crown rot. There's been, uh, some stock rot issues. We've had some rooting issues. We, we just had a lot of challenges this growing season. Yeah. Uh, as far as yield goes, uh, our soybean crop was an average crop. Our corn is just slightly above average. Okay. Or probably are, are, we're probably come in at the highest that sure. we've ever seen in this area. Wow. That's, that's well, good. That's good news, especially when prices are yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so, so we got wet ground out there right now, which is always a challenge. Uh, when you look at the fields that you got left, are they hilly, or hilly fields? You got low fields, uh, are you expecting a lot of issues out there? Uh, no, we're very flat around here. So, and, and 
mostly well tiled. Um, so we're most of our new tile jobs that we're doing are done at 25 feet apart. So uh, those fields will carry early. And then we are also strip tillers here, so our ground is, stays firm, so we don't rut it up because it's uh, dropping down to the tillage layer or whatever. Sure, sure. Now you mentioned the the new tile at twenty five foot spacings, which is awesome. Uh, what what did guys used to tile at there? Are you splitting down hundred foot spacings, or where were you at before this? Uh, we're we're ripping through old tile jobs that were done in the seventies and eighties at forty. Like we're just totally replacing it. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of debate about that for for guys here that have had tile for a while. I know there's, uh, like in Minnesota, just across the border from us, there's a bunch of guys that have got 100-foot spacing that are debating on where do I I draw the line? Do I just run one line through and make it a 50? Do I run two or three lines in there and make it a 25 or 33 or something like that? So, uh, yeah, why did you pick 25? Did you you try some different spacings to see what would be better? Uh, We were, you know, back in the... 70s and 80s we were putting 40 inch spacings in and then they went to 30 and now we're 25 we're we're relatively we're running uh perth clay loams and brookston clay so they're fairly heavy soils sure sure uh good soils but they're heavy um so 25 is just kind of common around here right now Yep, it's interesting. Every area is just a little bit different. I know the guys with the heavier soils, like yourself, it's hard to bite the bullet and spend the money on that. But but you've seen what a different style makes in the past, so so I'm sure it made it a little easier to to swallow that bill. Yeah, I just priced some tile here. It's uh, with well, everything is kind of stupid these days. Fifty three cents a foot. So time you put tile in at twenty five feet, it's two thousand dollars an acre. Wow. Yep, Brian's just nodding his head. He was running the math too. That's, yeah, oof. it's it's a big investment, but it certainly makes a difference, especially when you get heavy rains like this in the fall, so a guy can get back out and and actually get the crop off. Uh, well, Gary, great talking to you. Glad to hear the corn yields are going well and and the beans are all in. That that always makes me feel a lot better when the beans are in. So good luck to you as you get back out there. Hopefully, in not too long when it dries back up. Okay, appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Had a question come in. This one is from Mitch, and he said, we're down in Australia. We've got our corn up to about V2. We had kind of a cold cold start. Uh, our, our growing degree days are really starting to pick up now. Uh, anyway, I was looking at your fertilizer removal app, and I was just wondering, I've got 25-ton corn is my goal. About the fertility rates, it seemed like a lot of fertilizer to be putting out there. Just wondering what the conversion was for you. Okay, so I'm not coming with – so I, I looked at what his conversion thing was here, and I'm not coming up with the same stuff he is. So if we talk metric for just a second, a 25-ton crop, grain removal only, the phosphate's 158 kilograms, the K2O potassium's 113 kilograms. So if I do that simple math, that's 188 kilograms of potash just to basically stay even – and 304 kilograms on map. And he was coming up with numbers like double. So I don't understand where where we're getting a difference there. So anyway, Mitchell, maybe you want to take a look at that just a little bit more. But let's, let's put it this way. We really like seeing a soil test because 
what I'm interested is not just what I'm interested in is not just grain removal. It's what does my soil actually need to raise a fantastic crop? So with potassium, for example, if I look at a base saturation test and I see, oh, I'm only at one and a half percent base saturation K, that tells me that the ratio of potassium to the other main nutrients like calcium, magnesium, hydrogen, and sodium is too low. If it's too low, you won't get enough into that plant, even if you put back out what you just removed from the grain only. So build that K up if you need to. Potassium is unbelievably important to yield and grain quality, but it's also super important for stock quality. So we work with farmers all the time who have lodging issues and people want to blame the corn variety. Darren and I were talking about this even earlier today and Darren made a comment about, uh, you know, pick a corn variety that has better standability. Honestly, I couldn't care less. They all stand perfectly fine to me if we have really high levels of K, copper, and manganese, and we don't plant too thick. So I'm just saying there, all these things kind of tie together, and you got to look at the soil test also. So if you have soil test results, we could certainly take a look at those for you. With phosphorus, you had just made the comment that typical rates around there are 300 kilograms of MAP, which makes a lot of sense because that's exactly the number that I came up with was 304 for 25 tons. So basically, again, it's putting out grain removal. That's fine as long as we're starting at a good place. If we're starting really, really low, then it may be beneficial economically to build that level a little bit beyond that. Hey, thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that. And if you've got some more follow-up on that, we'd, we'd sure be happy to entertain it. Uh, get this one from Ben. He said, I'm in southwest Indiana. My CEC ranges literally from three or from five to 35 in the same field. Uh, a lot of variability out here. We're having trouble with Roundup-resistant Johnson grass. Uh, I used to use a quart of Roundup, but it just doesn't do anything to it anymore. Last year, we used some Clethodim on our beans. We're going to try this fall to spray some Autumn Super, uh, which is a combination of I iodosulfuron and thiancarbazone methyl. Any other thoughts about how we could control Roundup-resistant Johnson grass, especially in our corn? Well, what do you think, Darren? Well, the tough thing with perennials, if Roundup doesn't work on them, you're just burning off the top of a lot of things. So I know some guys will use Liberty, use high rates of Liberty. They can burn the tops off really well. Uh, the pre's just aren't great on Johnson grass. It's, it's a challenge. Yeah. So what people will typically talk about in corn is you got to start with a pre. So I would just say I can get suppression. And what I'm probably going to do is I'm going to go with one of the group 15s, harness, surpass, outlook, dual, something like that, along with possibly some balance flex. Now, rather than burning up your HPPD, then some people will say, well, I really can't, I think Laudis is pretty good post-emerge. I don't think it is, but some people believe that that gives you some good activity. Otherwise, you got Liberty, and uh, Liberty certainly can work. Beyond that, we're talking about trying Accent and Beacon. Unfortunately, it's probably not going to completely kill it or anything, but that would at least stunt it as long as that Johnson grass isn't also ALS resistant. So, yeah, not a lot of great options, but you got to keep hitting it and hitting it, and hopefully you can at least suppress it. Then when you get to soybeans and any broadleaf crop like soybeans, you got to hammer it hard. 
Yeah, with a lot of these tough weeds, when you're right. When you get a chance to kill them, you got to get the job done because it's really tough in some of the other crops. Hey, thanks for the question, and thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.